Father, this morning as we gather, as we come to worship you, as we come to acknowledge who you are, uh, we look around our world. And, and this morning I read that in 25 cities, 25 different cities, there is some level of unrest, uh, many of them having riots of different kinds. And, uh, and Lord, this, uh, this all has to do with just the reality of uh, the racial tensions that are existing in our country, uh, especially uh, with the murder of George Floyd, the murder of Ahmaud Arbery, and, and, and these things, that the way that they have been continuing on and building, and Lord, it's all have been kind of coming to a head. And as we look at, at each of these things, uh, and our hearts are heavy, uh, we are concerned for our country. Lord, we are concerned for um, seeing your righteousness come about in so many different ways. And, and Lord, we believe that that's not, the, the, the answer to that is not through riots. But Lord, it's, it's a problem that, that also people have not been, they've been waiting to see resolved and, and it doesn't seem to be resolving. And so with, with all of this, Lord, we, uh, we look expectantly to you. Lord, uh, we say, come, Lord Jesus. Lord, we lament the strife and the unrest that is existing. And Lord, we know that, um, Lord, you give us a promise, a kingdom where unrighteousness will be done away with. So, Lord, as we consider all of these things, we, we have no hope but to look to you. But in the middle of this brokenness, would you begin restoring hope? Lord, as we talk about the theme of restoration today, the, the, the theme of how you were even restoring Israel in the midst of Egypt, which was in the process of breaking down. Lord, would you, um, would you draw our hearts? Would you help us to see the way that you actually bring about your work of rest- restoration? Lord, that you, the ways that you bring about your righteousness in the middle of a place of unrighteousness. And Lord, would you, um, would you draw us to be a part of your work of restoration in the world? We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm just going to check to make sure we are rolling. Excellent. Okay. Um, so if you have your Bibles with you this morning, you can open them up to Exodus chapter 10. Uh, we're in Exodus chapter 10. We're doing verses 1 through 20. The The eighth plague is what we're going to be looking at this morning. So as you turn there, I want to talk to you about the concept of nostalgia. Uh, nostalgia is essentially like we could describe it as warm thoughts, uh, nice feelings about the good things of the past. So, uh, so, so nostalgia is often accompanied by phrases that we might say like, "Hey, we just need things to be back the way that they used to be," uh, or, or, or phrases like, "Hey, take me back to the good old days." So, I was like, you know, that that phrase, "Take me back to the good old days," that sounds like a song. And so, I I googled it and I found a song called "Take Me Back to the Good Old Days," and it's by an artist named Tommy Collins. He's a country and western artist, and you all know my fond love. Of, of country and Western music. Uh, if you don't know, I'll just like tell you, I don't love country and Western music, but I found, I found this song by a guy named Tommy Collins it's called take me back to the good old days from the 1960s. And this is, these, these are literally the words from the song. Tommy writes, I dreamed that I was living in 2022. I saw some drastic changes that affected me and you. And then, and then he goes, you skip down to the chorus, and the chorus, he says, take me back, 
to the good old days. I love those old fashioned ways. Like this song is all about nostalgia. It's all about sending us back, returning to the way things used to be, because that was back in the day when things were really good. And you know what's really interesting is this pandemic, the COVID-19 crisis that we've been going through, like nothing has made us nostalgic quite like this pandemic has made us nostalgic. Like two months ago, right now for us, seems like two years ago. Like we miss crowded restaurants. We miss being able to see people's facial expressions when we walk by them in the grocery store. Uh, we miss news. Uh, well, we have news like that focused on other bad things in the world instead of always focusing on this thing. Uh, we we uh, miss the time where it, it was like things were not just focused on this virus. We miss being able to meet in person with people. I miss being able to go to a coffee shop and sit with other people and work in the coffee shop. Uh, you know, like there are these things that we are nostalgic for that we miss. And this pandemic has really kind of emphasized it. We want all of those things back. And here's the point, like those are not bad things to want. But but this is this is something to watch out for. Our desire for these things, to get these things back, to return, they may make us say things like, you know, I just wish we could go back in time. And there's a warning that should go along with us, this, and it's this. Nostalgia can be dangerous. Nostalgia can be dangerous. So you know what? It, it is good to remember what was good about the past, and those are good things to miss. But sometimes, Sometimes, church, I want to let you know, sometimes the desire for the good old days can be so strong that it overlooks what was maybe not so good about the good old days. Like maybe God, maybe God in bringing you out of what used to be showed you something that you couldn't have seen otherwise. Like in bringing you out of what used to be normal, he's showing he's revealing something to you that you couldn't have seen otherwise. And, and he's showing you places and spots of your heart that that would have been left unaddressed and unchanged if you had just stayed where you were. And so so nostalgia can sometimes cause us to overlook what was maybe not so good about the past. Now, why do I say that? Uh, there's a thought that I want you to hold on to as we go through our passage today. And that thought is this. We sacrifice restoration in our desire to return. We sacrifice restoration in our desire to return. So, so you know what? What was good about the past, that was still good. But sometimes we miss out on the restoration that's happening when we try to hold on to the past. So some context, our, our passage. We've been going through the plagues. Uh, God is having this confrontation with Pharaoh. Uh, he's having this confrontation with the other gods of Egypt. And the whole time, Pharaoh is resisting God. It says that, that Pharaoh hardened his heart again and again and again. And then it says that the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, right? We see Pharaoh constantly resisting what God is doing. Uh, he keeps hold of God's people, like these people who belong to God. He's holding on to them in his power. He keeps oppressing them, and their oppression gets more and more intense. This is what we watch as we explore the plagues and what leads up to the plagues. And, and in all of it, Pharaoh refuses to do what God asks. And bit by bit, what's been happening is the plagues have been going on is that God has been chipping away at Pharaoh's armor. He's been exposing Pharaoh in his pride, and Pharaoh still hasn't changed. Like his continued refusal 
has far-reaching impact. It has massive impact on the people of Egypt. It has impact on the people of Israel. Everybody's being impacted because Pharaoh is refusing. So this this story about Pharaoh, this story about what's happening in Egypt, this is a true story. Like this actually happened in a place in time. But at the same time, as the story is written, we're meant to see, like we're meant to explore something about ourselves in this story of Pharaoh. And we've been talking about that over the last few weeks, how how Pharaoh's hard heart could be pointing to we – we might see something about our hard heart in Pharaoh. How Pharaoh's lack of repentance, we might be, see something about our lack of repentance in Pharaoh. Today's, today's plague, um, we're going we're gonna to actually focus on two questions. As we, as we look at this plague, it really kind of draws our attention to two realities that, that we need to deal with. And so those questions are, uh, number one. What in human hearts leads us to refuse God? Now, we've been talking about this a lot, but we're going to take a different angle on it than we've been taking. So what in human hearts leads us to refuse God? And the different angle, the way that this goes deeper is this. We're going to actually ask, what kind of impact does our refusal have? So so what in human hearts would actually lead us to refuse God? What in Pharaoh's heart led him to refuse God? And what kind of impact does that refusal actually have? And then there's a converse question, which is what kind of impact could it have if we stopped refusing, if we actually turned to God and repented? So Exodus chapter 10, and we're going to be in verse 1. This is what it says. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. So this is what God says to Moses. He says, Moses, okay, time for another plague. I want you to, uh, as you are watching these events unfold in Egypt, these events are going to become for you a kind of tapestry, a template that you are going to use to retell and teach people about who I am. So, so, so Moses, I want you to be aware. I want you to tell and I want you to retell these events so that they impact the future generations to come. Future generations will actually come to know me, will strive for faithfulness to me because of these stories that you tell. So so right now, this is the reality. Israel only knows the darkness of Egypt. Like before Moses shows up on the scene, the only context that they had for the divine was uh, some promises that were made to their ancestors by a god. Uh, and and then on top of that, they have all of the gods of Egypt informing their context. And they still haven't really fully learned who Yahweh is yet, this God who has revealed himself to Moses. And, and this experience and this story, these stories of what God is doing through the plagues, these things are going to become instruction for Egypt. Like they're going to show Egypt who their God is. So, so what is God doing with all of this? Well, God is doing a work of restoration for the people of Israel. Like for his people, he is doing a work of restoration because all that they knew were darkness. Like the Israelites only knew gods who enabled their oppression and lifted up Egypt while they were lowered. They, they had heard uh, of their God who made these promises, but their experience of anything that they might call divine, it actually justified their oppression. But now what's happening is that they are seeing their God actually make justice happen in Egypt. 
Like they're seeing their God shame Pharaoh and, and the gods who justified all of this oppression. They're seeing their God fight for them. They're seeing their God kind of use. Remember when when Moses threw up the ashes from the kiln and it became boils on all the people of Egypt. They're seeing their God use the ashes of their oppression to oppress Egypt, to, to cause justice to happen in Egypt. They're seeing. They're seeing their God throw off the balance of power in Egypt. He's lifting Israel up and lowering uh, lowering the power of Egypt. They're seeing their God actively fight to protect them. All of this, they're, they're learning who their God is. Like they're coming to know the Lord. And God, he's, you know, he's out there in the desert, and he is restoring hope to a people who had been crying out in hopelessness for years. And this hope, this hope is grounded in his people knowing this is who I am. This is who I am, that you may know that I am the I am. It's grounded in his name. It's grounded in his character. It's grounded in his very existence. This is how their hope is going to be restored. And so, yes, there is there's destruction taking place in Egypt. But in the middle of all of this, God is doing a work of restoration for the people of Israel. So verse three. Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your country and they shall cover the face of the land. Uh, And then it goes on in verse six. It says that it will be as neither your fathers nor your grandfathers have seen from the day they came on the earth to this day. Okay, so so what does Pharaoh think when he hears locusts like the first thing that locusts would imply for him is life is over. Like any any massive gathering of locusts, any plague of locusts, this would have been strongly associated with fear and devastation. And these are these are things that actually do happen out in uh, the the Middle Eastern territories. Like these these happen from time to time. But but God actually tells Pharaoh that that this will be like neither your fathers nor your grandfathers have seen. And so this would have been massive in the mind of Pharaoh. So just to get an idea uh, for what it's worth right now, like over the course of the past month and especially in the past week, we have seen locusts gathering in this part of the world. So locusts in India and Africa have actually been gathering in like there's been plagues of locusts happening during this whole coronavirus pandemic. And so so there, there are actually some pictures. I want you to see these pictures as I as I talk about the impacts of of locusts. But. But I want you to understand these with these things, with these these massive gatherings of these bugs, they come famine. They bring disease with them. They actually spread disease. Uh, they take away the food. They they there's actually like the cycle. Think of the psychological effect of the buzzing happening all the time. Like, have you ever had a mosquito just buzzing near your ear? And you know how like unnerving that can be when it won't leave you alone. Think of that times a million. And just happening all the time, consistent buzzing going all the time. Like with all of this, this plague is going to come in. And on top of the inconvenience of the the buzzing, the psychological effects, it's going to carry disease with it. It's going to carry famine with it. This plague will wreck Egypt. Remember how I said, you know, this is going to be unlike anything that your fathers or your grandfathers have seen. So actually, if, if you went, if you have your Bibles and, and you look back up at, at verse two, 
you, you know, God says to Moses, um, you're going to tell this to your son and your grandson. And then and then he talks to Pharaoh and he says, Pharaoh, this is going to be like anything that your fathers or your grandfathers have seen. And what he's doing here, when, when you look at these impacts of generations, what he's essentially doing is he's juxtaposing Israel and Egypt. He's putting Israel and Egypt next to each other. And, and what he's trying to point out is that different things are going to reverberate through their generations. And, and as he does this, the reader, we, as we encounter this passage, we're actually confronted with a question. We're confronted with the question of what will reverberate throughout our generations. Will we reverberate wreckage or restoration? Like this is the question that we're forced to deal with. So let's define what these things are. Wreckage is this. It is the result of broken people making broken choices in a broken world. So uh, a good illustration of this, uh, you know how your grandfathers, uh, many of you have grandfathers, some of you are grandfathers, uh, you know, you tell the story, hey, back in the day, we had it really hard. We had it so bad. Uh, we used to walk 15 miles uphill both ways through the snow. It was it was nothing. Today, it's so much easier than it used to be then. What what God is essentially saying to uh, to Pharaoh in this moment is that, hey, your grandfathers and your fathers, they're going to look at this and go, uh, nope, this is pretty much the worst it's ever been. We've never seen anything as bad as this. And this is what happens when, when Pharaoh is going to enable a system of sin in Egypt, and he's going to continue to reinforce it, and, and God's going to bring it to his attention, and he's going to continue to refuse God. Is It is going to cause greater and greater wreckage to take place in Egypt, and that wreckage is going to reverberate for generations throughout Egypt. So will you reverberate wreckage or will you reverberate restoration? What is restoration? Restoration is a movement of God's hand to bring good out of ruin. Restoration is a movement of God's hand to bring good out of ruin. So so Israel, they are in the middle of Egypt. Moses is in the middle of Egypt. He's watching all of this wreckage take place. And the question that he's now answering to Yahweh, Yahweh says, hey, I need you to retell and retell this story because I am a God who brings good out of ruin. I do works of restoration and I want you to be a part of what it is that I am up to. So Pharaoh is about to learn that his choices are actually reverberating wreckage in a pretty massive way throughout Egypt. Verse 7 in Exodus 10, it says this. It says, Then Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go, that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet understand that Egypt is ruined? Like Pharaoh's servants, they come to him with clarity and say, You have got to do something. Like you, this cannot keep going. Egypt is already wrecked. We can't possibly bear anymore. And so what we're watching is we're watching Pharaoh's spheres of influence crumble right around him. Every single time he refuses Yahweh, there is greater and greater and greater devastation. And his servants are now asking him the question, hey, man, have you not seen? Like there is nothing left. You just need to give in. Give this God what he wants. 
So, uh, so verse 8. Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh. And he said to them, go, serve the Lord your God. But which ones are to go? So, so this is what's happening. Pharaoh is essentially saying, okay, you know what? You can go. I'll give in. You can go, but not all of you can go. Some of you have to stay. And so, so this is what I want, Moses and Aaron. I want you to decide who stays and who goes. So, so this is what's happening. Pharaoh, Pharaoh is actually still holding back. Like this whole time, like all he has to do is give in to Yahweh, but he's still holding back. He's still refusing to surrender. And I want to ask the question, why? Like why after all this time? He's got nothing left in Egypt. Egypt is ruined. What is going on? Why does he still try to hold on? And I want to submit to you that Pharaoh is trying desperately to return to the way things were. Pharaoh is trying desperately to return to the way things were. So so um, he's essentially asking a question, well, you know, what if? What if you just take them and and then come back? So go do your sacrifices. But but if not all of you go, then you'll have to come back. So I'll still get to, to keep you. I'll still get to have your people here in Egypt. And, and so the question is, what is Pharaoh protecting? I think he's protecting what is normal to him. Like this is this is so close to him. Like we just need to put a couple of things in order. We can get things back to the way that they were. I can get my power back. I can get uh, back my my ability to build everything that I'm building in Egypt. I don't need to lose these people. Like you can hear Pharaoh every time he refuses. He's straining to put everything back in the order where it was before, where there's no longer political issues happening. There's no longer food issues happening. There's no longer economic issues happening in Egypt, where everything is back to normal again. And he's just saying, hey, guys, hey, I want to go back to normal. Can we return to a not, uh, back to a time when everything made sense for me? Like this was all under my control. And this is actually, so this is the question that Pharaoh's court asks him. They say, do you not yet understand? Egypt is ruined. He's saying, hey, dude, normal is long gone. We need to move forward. So what's crazy is that in the middle, in the middle of all of this happening, in the middle of Egypt being ruined and wrecked, there is a work of restoration happening in the middle of Egypt. So verse 9, Moses said, We will go with our young and our old. We will go with our sons and our daughters and with our flocks and our herds, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. Moses is saying, hey, man, like we are understanding who our God is, and we cannot help but go worship him. He's doing a work of restoration among us. And so, no, it's not just some of us that are going to go. Every single one of us is going to go. Verse 10. But he said to them, Pharaoh responded, the Lord be with you. He's kind of actually saying here, the Lord curse you. When he says the Lord be with you, he says the Lord curse you if I, if ever I let you and your little ones go. Look, you have some evil purpose in mind. No, go. The men among you, he's saying just the men go and serve the Lord for that is what you are asking. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. Uh, Pharaoh essentially says, Hey, you know what? Your fathers, just send your fathers out. Uh, your fathers can go out and make sacrifices, leave everybody else here. That way they have to come back. He's still resisting. He's still refusing. And so then after this, after verse 11, we get an account of how the plague came, how the plague ate, how the, the locusts ate the crops that remained. 
uh, how uh, the, the devastation increased in Egypt, the wreckage increased in Egypt, and, and the Lord hardens Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh's cycle of wreckage continues. And all of this happening, while this work of restoration was happening, it is right there in the middle of Egypt, and Pharaoh missed all of it. Like Pharaoh continued in his pattern because he was so focused on getting things back, regaining his control, going back to where he was before, maintaining the status quo. He wanted to return without actually recognizing what it was that God was trying to draw his attention to. And so, church, our main point that we've been dealing with this morning, the the main thing to hold on to is this. We sacrifice restoration in our desire to return. We sacrifice restoration in our desire to return. Okay, that's that's the story. I mean, that's the play. And we could we could read the details, but honestly, the details echo for us uh, the the same sorts of things uh, that that we've seen in the other plagues. The plague happens. Uh, Pharaoh hardens his heart. You know, that's that's essentially the way that it goes. So so uh, if we sacrifice rec- restoration in our desire to return, I want to ask, what does this mean? Like, what do we actually do with this reality? So what? Uh, number one, I want to call you, church, not to sacrifice restoration, but to radically accept your new normal. Don't sacrifice restoration, but radically accept your new normal. Okay, so let me uh, let me talk to you about a concept because you may have gotten very uncomfortable when I told you to radically accept your new normal. Uh, I want to bring this concept before you. When we are comfortable, when we are very comfortable and when we have control, we love to maintain the status quo. We love to keep things the way that they are. And so when pain comes, we actually try desperately to get things back to where they were without actually stopping to evaluate whether our comfort or whether our control was even good and right in the first place. So so this is what Pharaoh was doing. Pharaoh was like trying desperately to get back to the way things used to be. And the problem was is that every single piece of his comfort actually came at the expense of image bearers. It came at, at, at his oppression of other people. And so God was trying to show Pharaoh, like making it clear to Pharaoh what was going on. But all Pharaoh was focused on was just getting things back to the way they were, maintaining his control, keeping the status quo. So uh, so there is a concept out there in as people think about how we solve problems, how we move beyond, how uh, we, we've been using the language of restoration. But uh, there, the concept is around problem solving, and that concept is called radical acceptance. Uh, and so, so there's this course on, on design theory that you can take at Stanford. Uh, and they, you know, they have a whole bunch of things influencing what they come up with. But they, this is one interesting idea that I thought was actually kind of helpful. It's this idea of radical acceptance. Radical acceptance is based on the core idea that the first step in moving towards any solution, the first step in solving any problem is not just an acknowledgement of the problem, but actually accepting the problem as a part of your new reality. So so to say um, this problem is not a deviation from what is real, but it is a part of what is real right now and fully accepting that this is what is. 
Uh, and so, so it's an acknowledgement. This is my new normal. This is my normal. So instead, so what that means is, uh, instead of trying to escape from the problem and go back to normal, you actually admit that the problem is a part of your new normal. And so there's something, there's something about this that happens with us psychologically that when we accept this problem as a part of our normal, it actually exponentially increases our ability to come up with solutions beyond the problem. So because you're not asking the question, how do I go back? But instead, given this problem, which is now my normal, how do I move forward beyond it? So, so here's a question to reflect on as we uh, talk about this whole idea. Is what are you still refusing to accept as normal because you're still trying to get things back to normal? What are you still refusing to accept as normal because you're still trying to get things back to normal? Because the reality is, is we live in a broken world. Like this is a, a reality that we sit with and accept. Now, there is something very unacceptable about it, and that's worth saying. Like sin has broken this world, and, and God does not even accept this. But 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 the, the point is not to pull things back to Eden, but to move things back uh, forward to the new creation. Like that's that's what's happening. We're not pulling things back in time, but we're moving forward in the work of restoration that we want to do. And so so this is why like God even sent Jesus. He doesn't he doesn't try to take things back, but he actually creates a solution moving forward. So whatever the problem is, it's there because God allowed it. Right. Whatever whatever you're refusing to accept as normal, that problem is there because God allowed it. And guess what? He's not surprised by it. And so instead of trying to fight to get things back how they were, instead of even trying to sometimes ignore the issue and pretend things are the same, why don't you surrender and actually radically accept the situation and trust him to bring about his solutions through it? Like that's what I, so that's what I want to call us to do. Like I don't want us to miss out on potential restoration that could happen because we're trying so hard to get things back to the way that they used to be. Uh, okay, so that's number one. Number two, when wreckage abounds, work with God for restoration. So, so this is this is actually what God was calling Moses to. This is what God was calling the people of Israel to. He's saying, "Hey, Egypt, you're going to be in the midst of a lot of wreckage in Egypt." And in the midst of it all, I'm going to be doing a work of restoration for you. I'm going to give you stories to tell your sons and your grandsons that they may know who I am. And in coming to know who I am, I will help them identify with me. I will help them to be a new nation for myself. They'll do something to reflect my glory to the nations around them. So uh, if the last week or even last night – has shown us anything, it's that we live in a broken world full of broken people who are making broken choices, and because of that, wreckage abounds right now. Like, okay, so you know what? Wreckage continues to abound in the spread of COVID-19. Wreckage abounds in the rising political tensions in our country. Wreckage abounds in the deaths of George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery. Wreckage abounds in the riots that have taken place. Wreckage abounds in the in the unrest that is happening in, in our cities. Wreckage abounds in rising domestic abuse rates and rising suicide rates. Wreckage abounds in job loss and in addiction and in division. You know what? Wreckage abounds in so many more ways besides what I've already named and all of this. 
all of this is the result of sin reverberating throughout generations of the human race in both individuals and in systems. And in all of this wreckage, all of it, God actually comes and provides hope. We saw him provide hope in Egypt. But but the even greater hope that he provides is in the midst of all of this wreckage, God presents hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Friends, all of this, sin reverberating throughout the, the generation, sin creating wreckage, all of this is why Jesus came to die. So, Jesus came to resolve the primary source of our wreckage, which is our broken relationship with God. Like because we broke our relationship with God, now brokenness exists in creation. But then from his death, he actually rose from death and began to bring restoration from the wreckage of sin. He actually started healing sin patterns in the lives of individuals. He actually like carved out a new community for himself in the pouring out of his spirit on his people for every tribe, from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Like he's actually now making a people who will be a witness to the world of the abundant life in God's restoration. This witness of reconciled relationships, this witness of a multi-ethnic family united in Jesus Christ, this witness of a role of for significance for every single person who is a part of the body of Christ. This, uh, this, this witness of acts of mercy and compassion towards the poor, this witness of uh, love for each other that is unusual and is seen nowhere else in our world. Like he carved out a people who will be a witness of God's abundant life. And then Jesus, through his gospel, through his cross, he actually offers the promise. And this is where the hope is so great. He actually offers the promise of a new creation where the wreckage of sin is done away with once and for all. And Jesus rules in righteousness. Church, I want to tell you this morning, that is a really hopeful message in the midst of all the wreckage, but it is not just a hopeful message for us. It is a call to mission. The the gospel is not just a, a hopeful message for us, but all of these things that God offers, it is a call to mission. That believers in Jesus, that we would actually be called to participate in sharing Jesus's restoration with our world. God called Israel to do this. Share the restoration that I'm doing in Egypt so that you may know, so that your sons may know, so that your grandsons may know that I am the Lord. And in the same way, we are called to participate in sharing God's restoration with our world. So how do we do that? Like if that's true, if that's what God has actually accomplished in Christ, how do we become a part of participating with God and restoring hope? So the first thing I want to say is something I've already said, but we need to radically accept. We need to radically accept whatever wreckage that you are facing, uh, that that becomes your current normal, that you don't try to avoid it, but that you actually see it, you confront it, you admit it, you confess it, you understand it, and you accept it. And then after that, you want to pray. Because you know what? You on your own, you lack power to bring any amount of restoration to the multiplicity of problems that are created by sin. Like every time we see wreckage, it should actually lead us deeper and deeper into prayer. First of all, prayer for ourselves to see sin in us and repent quickly that we wouldn't be like Pharaoh trying to hold on to how things are. But we would actually see our hearts and quickly repent. 
that we would find greater joy in the Lord. And then as we do that, that we actually move out into prayer for our world, that we'd actually ask God to move for our world, but also ask him to show us like what we can do to contribute to restoration in our world. So, so number one, we want to radically accept. Number two, we want to pray. Number three, we need to delight. You know what? Sin may have created wreckage, and we don't delight in the wreckage of sin. We actually lament the wreckage of sin, but we delight in knowing that we serve a God who truly does amazing works of restoration. Like we delight in finding the good in the midst of the bad. We delight in counting our blessings. Like we delight in enjoying the things that God has given us to enjoy while simultaneously lamenting the things that God has that, that, that is in our world to lament. We delight knowing that our God is walking through us, or sorry, walking with us through whatever wreckage we are walking in the middle of. We delight knowing that even if the specific situation we're looking at never sees restoration on this side of heaven, we delight in knowing that God is good and that Jesus is coming back and that he will find a way to make it right. And so we trust him. So number three, delight. And number four, be generous. You know what? We can be radically generous people because we know that God is, in fact, renewing all things. He is in the process of always restoring. He's bringing revival to his church. God is already being so generous with us. Like the, the Trinitarian God of love who who is uh, loving within the three persons and actually gives us love and loves us with abandon. Like He is radically generous with us. And so if this is who God has been to us. How can we be radically generous to each other and to our world when we see wreckage? Can we share our time in some way to combat the wreckage? Can we share our skills? Can we share our attention, our money, our energy, or even the hope of the gospel that we have been given? How can you use these things to reveal God's restoration to the broken world around you? Okay, so that's uh, second so what, and the third so what is simply this. It is a question. It is a question for self-reflection, and that question is this. What will reverberate from your life? What will reverberate from your life? You know what, Pharaoh, he reverberated wreckage. Every single decision that he made was made to regain power, was made to get things back the way that they used to be. Every act of defiance was an attempt for him to maintain his status quo instead of actually looking inside himself to see what God was doing. It ended up having you know, wreckage for Israel at first in their oppression, but then that wreckage was transferred to Egypt and Egypt's judgment. And then there's every time there was this even deeper and greater wreckage each time that he refuses and tries to return. So, so that's what happened with Pharaoh's wreckage. But then you know what? God used Moses to reverberate restoration. You know what? Moses did some really dumb things, but he actually did obey God. Like at certain points, he obeyed God and in obeying God, he participated with God in in freeing a people from slavery. Like he participated, he took part in in establishing right worship for a nation. His story was a story that has been told and retold over the course of thousands of years that even today, like thousands of years after this happened, we are telling the story because Moses reverberated restoration. 
So, so we have called ourselves a church that is working together to restore hope to all people. Our ability to participate in God's restoration is contingent on all of us continually making decisions that move beyond the status quo and actually contribute to that restoration. So so when we answer this question for ourselves, we answer it for our church too. So when you answer the question, what will reverberate from your life? This is not just a question that you answer for yourself, but it actually has an impact on what will reverberate from Alliance Bible Church. So as we talk about all of this, I I think the challenge for us today is that as God moves and as God reveals and and as things in our world happen, wreckage takes place, that we wouldn't uh, take the time to just get back to normal, but that we would allow each moment, each interaction to let us stop and evaluate ourselves. To say what work of God, uh, what work of restoration does God want to do in us? And that we would actually take the time to work together with God in restoring hope in ourselves, yes, but also in our world. Alliance Bible Church, would you pray with me, please? As we look at this story of Pharaoh, But as we watch him try time and time again to hold on to power and to hold on to control, Lord, we pray that we would be instructed about our own patterns. And Lord, that that we would actually be instructed to do differently. Lord, that in each moment, each hardship that we encounter, each moment of pain, that we would ask the question, what are you drawing our attention to? What work of restoration do you want to do? And that, Lord, that we would participate together with you in that. Lord, uh, as um, just things in our world continue on, and and, uh, Lord, this is not a single moment in time. There are things that are happening throughout history. There's always some work of restoration to be done. So, Lord, would you help us to see it? And you would, would you show us as individuals, but also us as a church, how we can work together with you in restoring hope to all people? Yeah, we thank you for the hope that you've given us. We thank you for the amazing gospel of Jesus Christ that speaks to the wreckage of sin and gives a promise of restoration beyond it. Lord, we cling to these things and we ask that you would help us to delight in them. And we pray all of this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.